Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. Uh, so we got a request from our patrons to talk a bit about our decks. Uh, so I'm going to be talking about some of the decks I built over the past year and some of the lessons I learned while building them and playing with them and, and the tweaks I made and, and hoping to give you some of the insights from someone who's experienced these commanders. Uh, and then, Zach, what are you going to be talking about today? Yeah, so I've, I've made a lot of like countertop decks, just decks with cards over the counter. So I don't, I, I can, I'm going to talk more about like decks that have taught me lessons over the years. So not specifically my newest decks, because those ones haven't necessarily been as like uh, informative to me, but just decks that like over the last either time playing or a few years, I've like learned a ton about just deck construction or play patterns and stuff like that. So um, it should be, should be good. All right. But before we jump in, I'm going to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you haven't, head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory. You can support the show and get sweet benefits, including ad free episodes for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Uh, I'll start off with one of my most recent decks. This is Shannon Sleeper's Scourge. So for those of you who aren't familiar with Shannon, uh, she is one of the uh, one of the two commanders from the Mardu Legends deck from Dominaria United. Uh, she's one red, black, white for a 2-4 legendary creature human knight with menace. Other legendary creatures you control have menace. And whenever you play a legendary land or cast a legendary spell, you draw a card and you lose one life. So we talked a bit about this during our set review for Dominaria United Commander. So I'm not going to go too deep into like all the tech for Shannon. I recommend listening to that episode if that's what you're here for. But I want to talk a bit about sort of what I learned over the course of playing the deck, little tips that aren't immediately obvious um, as you're you're just looking at the commander. So one thing I noticed is uh, not all legends are created equal. Um, and not only are... And, and the, it was kind of obvious that like cheaper legends are better, so you can cast more spells and draw more cards over the course of the game. Um, but what took me a little while to figure out is like mana costs matter, color matters. Generally, the way this deck works is you're really kind of like digging for engines that will let you dig even more efficiently. And some types of legends work better with those engines than others. So some of the most important engines in this deck are Burgi, God of Storytelling. Uh, this is two and a red for a 3-3 three, three legendary creature god. Whenever you cast a spell, add red, and then you don't lose that mana until end of turn. So uh, but if you're playing Burgi, then red legends are just going to work better for you. It's going to be easier to chain red legends together than a lot of other than like you know white legends or black legends that aren't able to use the burgie mana as effectively uh, and then similarly another important engine in this deck is um Hazaret's monument which is three mana for a legendary artifact red creature spells you cast cost one less to cast and whenever you cast a creature spell you may discard a card if you do draw a card so in this deck it's got 
probably about 50% legendary permanence or close to it. If you have Shannon out and a Hazardous Monument out, you're pretty likely to be able to filter out the non-legends and then just keep rolling with, keep sort of chaining your legends into each other. Um, and so if like Hazardous Monument is one of the best things to have out in this deck, you really do want to uh, sort of try to get the maximum benefit out of it and just run more red creatures so that you can get advantage of the cost reduction um, and just makes it easier to chain. And if you have like a Hazardous Monument out and a Burgie out and just like a bunch of red legends, then you kind of get to a point where it's just, I'm not really, I don't really need mana for my stuff. I'm just, I just get to keep drawing a billion cards and casting like most of my deck <laughs> Uh, you just end up with like really explosive turns. Um, and then another thing that kind of matters is just like having some, uh, well, it's better to like have a, like a one R mana cost in your legends than like a BR cost, just because not only do you get that benefit from Hazaret's monument, but this deck also runs honor worn Shaku. So if you want to get the advantage of the, the colorless mana that you're generating off your Shaku every time you cast a legend, uh, then you probably want some generic costs in your spells. So a couple of things to think about uh, just in terms of like making it easier to run the engine. And then another thing that like wasn't really top of mind as I was building the deck, but became very apparent uh, as I played it, is that the the life loss from Shannon really does add up over time you know as you're getting towards the late game you're you know when you're at 10 life or something that's not just like oh okay i can take 10 damage from my opponents it's like oh i can like i can only cast 10 more spells before i die because so much of the deck is legendary so you it really is important to have some lifelink creatures in this deck um and i think that like uh, Whip of Erebos is probably also a good inclusion just because it is legendary and it's really, really good at combating the life loss from Shannon. Um, so those are those are my biggest lessons from playing Shannon. Well, OK, one more just like legendary creatures are generally better than legendary artifacts, enchantments or planeswalkers because you are eventually going to try to win with combat damage and like you know, a uh, uh, Gerard's hourglass pendant or some other crappy, like do nothing non creature legend is not really going to contribute to you winning the game later on. Whereas like every legendary creature counts towards heroes podium and, and gets you closer to winning eventually. Okay. That, that was my last lesson. Tell us about the first deck that you're going to be talking about. Yeah, no, I really liked watching the shannon deck like come together i thought it was pretty cool so i I like uh hearing about it here too um so my my first deck i'm going to talk about is basically the deck i've had the longest consistently with like the same commander and this is uh jared golgari lichlord so uh i'm gonna go through the basically the the lesson the story and the lesson so the story is like when i was a kid and I was like watching magic, watching friends, older brothers play magic and stuff like that. Um, I'd hear them throw around terms and I'd see cards and it just kind of like stuck in my brain. So when I eventually was in college and playing 
commander for the first time, I was like, oh, I kind of want this reanimator deck. I had a sapling and Colfinor deck. Um, and I had a rule that I don't have anymore <laughs> where I can't have a, more than one deck in any color combination. Um, so I took sapling of Colfinor apart and put in Golgari, a uh, Jared Golgari Lichlord when the dual decks came out. And it's literally been the same Jared card in that same sleeve since then, since whatever, like 2011, 2012, something like that. So, <laughs> um, that's the guy. That's my guy. And it was at first, it was just generic reanimator. And then the lesson about this deck is basically that, like, a commander deck is never finished. So, I, as you can imagine, with like a theme as wide as like reanimator, every year something comes out, something like just gnarly creature in green or black. Or, um, cause yeah, pretty soon after I made this deck, the Eldrazi came out and so <laughs> can't get much more gnarly than that. And I think the it that betrays it's in the deck still has been there since that pre-release. So, um, been a long time, but other tools come out like over the years we got like assassin's trophy, you know, other things recently it got old stick fingers, uh, and the deck is just constantly changing. So even though it's like the same quote strategy, I don't really get bored of it because I'm always like able to put new cards into it and it kind of plays differently every time I can put in different sub themes. So like over the years, uh, the deck has changed from like lands matter more to like graveyard counting to lands in the graveyard to reanimation, like just reanimating efficient creatures is fun. Uh, or like looping death triggers is fun. Dawn of the dead was in the deck at one point in time. Um, so the deck has gone through a lot of changes and and the biggest lesson I learned about the changes was don't just make edits. <laughs> like <laughs> unless you have like a one-to-one cut. So like uh, I think I took out um, Putrefy to put an Assassin's Trophy at the time when I did that. Um, you should probably like lay out your deck and reassess it and more or less rebuild it. Because what would happen with this deck is I would play it, I'd play it a lot, and then I'd put a new card in, and then I'd put a new card in, and i make a cut and put a new card in. And then I'd go to play it, and I'd be like, wow, this is like, I'm not having a good time. Like, what is going on? And then when I'd lay the deck out, I'd see that, like, I had cut all the, like, the take eat your veggies cards and put in a bunch of just splashy new stuff and was like, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that (laughs) i probably should have looked at like what the deck was trying to do so now once a year ish i look at the deck and i go okay well what cards would i want to play in this at this point in time what cards have i not played before what was really fun and i rebuild the deck in some way um either using some new cards or um retooling like with the strategy that in the past i liked but maybe it wasn't all the way there or something like that so it's just kind of proof that like this is my favorite deck basically this is one of my favorite commanders and the core of the deck has stayed the same like Jared and big guys uh, I never pay the commander tax on Jared because you can sack a swamp and a forest to bring him back to your hand uh, and there's just a million things in green that crucible worlds or something like that that you can play lands out of your graveyard or get them back and play them or ramp and whatever so the deck is a blast to play. Hermit Druid's been in there since the first iteration. Golgari Grave Troll has been in there since the first iteration. Brexian Delver has been in there since the first iteration. But like 
other things change over time. And I think that's just kind of how commander decks are. I think like unless your deck is like very, very particular, it's like a Gavi Nest Warden, um, a, uh, a what was the um, Kadena, the Morph Commander, you know, unless it's something that's very, very particular to what it's doing, like even Shanid is going to change, you know, they're going to keep printing legends. There's going to be more efficient ones. There's going to be better ones. There's going to be good red legends that fit into the slot at the right point, you know, so um, no commander deck is finished. And I think this is the deck that taught me that the most <laughs> over the years. Um, and so with that, uh, I guess I'm going to throw it back to you. What, what's the next deck you want to talk about? So the next deck I we did not plan this, but uh, yeah. <laughs> the next deck I have to talk about is also land related and yeah. <laughs> playing lands out of your graveyard. Um, so this is has on shaper of sand. And again, we, we talked about this during our Dominaria United set review. So uh, check that out. If you want like a more detailed description of all the tech, uh, I'm just going to be going over some of the lessons I learned while playing it. Uh, basically like, more land sack outlets and also just like aggressively looking for the deserts that sack themselves. Um, it really, really matters because like eventually you're going to get to the point where like, you know, you've gotten Azusa out or you've got like a wayward sword tooth or some other mechanism for getting additional land drops, but you've played all the lands in your hand and you've played all the deserts out of your graveyard. And so it's just kind of like, leaving value on the table but if you have like a grasping dunes or some other desert that can sacrifice itself then that's just like a uh sand warrior engine right there so like those are the kinds of deserts you should be prioritizing maybe even a little bit more like once you're at the point where your mana is fixed you should be looking for these types of deserts because it is just so valuable valuable to be able to churn out more tokens and get all your value from your extra land drops later in the game um and also like i it it might even just be worth it to run some more sack outlets land sack outlets that don't even necessarily get you big value i'm thinking of ooh, what's the uh sylvan safekeeper like that's probably worth it uh, just to a like protect your stuff. Although this deck has so much mana that like recasting has is on isn't really a huge issue. Um, but really, just like getting more value out of your extra land drops because there's so many of them in the deck, and it's just like free value um, if you've got the right setup. So th- those are the main lessons. Uh, the the like thrill of possibility tormenting voice stuff is a little less good that I was hope than I was hoping for. Cause these are all just kind of one shot effects. Like you get your extra card once and then it doesn't really matter. Whereas like the land sack outlets allow you to get value every single turn. So maybe like lean back a little bit on the discard outlets and focus more on the land sack outlets. But I'd, I'd say that's my main lessons from Hazazon. Um, what about you? What's the next deck you want to talk about? Yeah, so this is this is my m- most recent deck that is finished. I, I'm changing a deck into Magnus the Red. 
Um, and I'm still on the plate. I haven't, I haven't brought it out. I've been too busy. Um, but this is the newest one. It's, uh, I've been calling it Gale Force Wins. It's Gale and Raised by Giants. Um, and so this is a chooser deck, uh, basically the funny enchantment partners from Baldur's Gate. Um, and so Gale, Waterdeep Prodigy has, uh, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell from your hand, you may cast up to one target card of the other type from your graveyard. If a spell cast from your graveyard this way would be put into your graveyard, exile it instead. So basically, whenever you cast a sorcery, you can cast an instant. Whenever you cast an instant, you can cast a sorcery. Um, this cheats on like timing restrictions, too, which is pretty fun, um, which is one of the more fun things to do with the deck. Uh, so building this has been kind of a journey. I um, It was a mix of figuring out like the concept and then making it work. Uh, and again, this is another kind of version of like eat your veggies, but the deck, uh, well, here, the, the first lesson that I have learned is that smash is good. So if you are going to just hit someone for 10 or 11 damage, that's usually pretty good. <laughs> like having a commander that's a 10, 10 is like a legitimate threat. Uh, people do not like it. And also it helps you win the game very quickly. So, um, that's kind of the first thing I've learned is just like the massive commanders like that alone is something that I might end up like valuing a little bit more because they close the game out so fast. And we talk about that on, on the show a lot, you know, like, Oh, this is a flying seven power commander. Just give a double strike or, you know, stuff like that. Um, but it really just like hammered that home to me. Like, Oh, when your commander's a 10, 10, like you don't need to think too hard about win conditions. Um, <laughs> So the uh, the other lesson is that token makers are really good, which sounds stupid, but mostly it's not for attacking, it's for chump blocking. So this is something I think we brought up like casually on the show before. We mentioned it in like a set review or something, but the power of just... Well, I know it comes up on our Discord server, so if you uh, would like to become a uh, patron and enter that Discord server with all the cool talking points, you can do that. Um, but basically the idea that like, especially the first few turns of the game... People will go like, oh, okay, well, I have this 2-2 two, two, or this like 2-1. Is anyone open? And people go, oh, no, I have my commander and a plant token. Or they'll go, oh, I have a 3-3. Three, three. Or they're like, I have a Corsair Crufix. And then uh, they go, okay, well, that person who has like the commander and a plant token probably isn't going to block. Or like, we'll block with the plant token, but at least I got in there. Um, and is more likely to get attacked. So just having like weird speed bumps at the beginning of the game or like God forbid somebody doesn't have a blocker <laughs> like at that point in the game, like things can steamroll very, very quickly. And I have a lot of decks that are very heavily themed around the commander. Like I have a Kirkesh, I have a uh, Jorel Empress of Beasts. I have, uh, I've been trying to f- figure out how to fix Calamax, which is incredibly centered on the commander where like, I don't always have a floater just sitting there getting attacked and this deck is like that the difference when i play gale and raised by giants when i have like a card that made a token or even just like a uh colony garden in my opening hand versus when i'm kind of like doing my dirtle thing and waiting for like a talrand or a docent of perfection or something to pop up so i can start making tokens uh is huge the gameplay is crazy because like 
Gail just turtles. <laughs> and so this that's kind of the main point. Like if I've kind of learned that like decks that are gonna dirtle, like you can cast like explore, flashing back, a consider to like put another card in your graveyard and draw a card and get some get an extra land in the battlefield and draw a card, and then you can cast uh Gitaxian Pro paying two life to flash back your explorer with Gale out and get more cards and more land. So you're you're just doing these like lines of play that can be really complex and really fun. But just leave you completely open to say like a Shunhead Sleeper Scourge <laughs> or or any other aggro deck that you might see or even just decks that are just have creatures, you know. So that's the biggest lesson I've learned from this deck is like, yeah, the Dirtling can be really strong and a 10-10 is very good when it's in your command zone. But uh, chumps, you got to figure out some way to not die. Um, <laughs> and... And token makers are a good way to do that, but it's just a, a new axis in which I'm looking at decks when I'm making them. Uh, I'm, I've been making a lot less uh, board neutral decks lately, <laughs> I guess, mm-hmm. uh, where it's all about like the future benefit and more like, well, how can I set up on on board a little bit better? Um, and I think at that, I'm going to pass it back to you. What's the What's the next deck you're going to talk about? All right, uh, this next one I've mentioned before. This is um, Barakos, Party Leader, and Guild Artisan. Uh, so Barakos, Party Leader, is three and a black for a 2-4 legendary creature orc. It's also a cleric, rogue, warrior, and, and wizard. And when it attacks, a defending player loses X life, and you create X treasure tokens, where X is the number of creatures in your party, and it has choose a background. And then Guild Artisan is one to red for a legendary enchantment background. Commander creatures you own have whenever this creature attacks a player, if no opponent has more life than that player, you create two treasure tokens. So uh, this is, I won't go too much into the tech for the deck, but like the main lesson learned from this one is just like, honestly, one I should have learned a while ago. Like when we talked about our one and done decks, um, one of the the type of decks that I I consistently pull apart is just like non-interactive combo. And for the most part, this deck is very interactive and like, you know, you commit creatures to the board, you turn them sideways, you get some value off your commander. It's fun, fair magic. But it also has this like sort of one card combo with aggravated assault, where like if you've got a full party and a guild artisan out, um, then you can potentially take infinite turns with aggravated assault. Um so aggravated assault lets you pump five mana in and get an extra combat step, so you can just keep going at it with Barakos, provided you like, uh, you know, start attacking other people so that you eventually like always get your guild artisan trigger. But even if it's not infinite, even if you're just like getting four treasures and paying five, like that's still a billion. That's still many many combat steps per turn, uh, and you know. I've just found that it's like too easy to get the aggravated assault going, uh, even in a deck that isn't running like a ton of tutors or whatever. It's just like there have been multiple games where I just chose not to go for the aggravated assault line because I thought it would kind of be anticlimactic. So the lesson learned here is like, don't put the card in your deck if you're not going to cast it. Like it's just a, a wasted slot I'd, I'd rather just play something else that that sort of forwards the main game plan of like attacking with dudes non-infinitely and like 
interacting with my opponents and, and just getting value. So not not that there's anything wrong with infinite combos. I, I play other decks like it, but it just it's a little dash of infinite combo in a deck that is otherwise very fair. So I tend to play this deck against other fair decks and like it I just don't like having that pressure to kill the table in a way that like they weren't ex- they weren't mm, expecting based on our pregame conversation. Yeah. No, I think I I I this is actually something I think about a lot and I I don't didn't specifically have a deck today that I was going to talk about with that but um that is definitely I have a lot of decks that like are technically lower power level but they just like explode and uh sometimes people will feel bad if you're like wait I thought that was a low power level deck and you're like I am I just animated all my lands and attacked you <laughs> <laughs> you know or like something like that or they they feel like they got comboed out and it's like well i mean you could have killed me <laughs> like the 13 <laughs> turns prior but it still feels bad you know it's still like oh hey like i thought you were not i thought you were being nicer than that or something like that you know mm-hmm. so yeah but that's all i have to say on on brocos and guild in. tell us about your next deck yeah i'm actually gonna um to one that's a little bit similar so um it has a lesson similar to this um which is willow dusk essence seer so uh willow dusk essence seer was one of these strixhaven commanders um and it uh i, I actually i'll just read it off because i don't think most people are going to remember <laughs> willow dusk. so willow dusk is a three three for three one black green uh they're a dryad druid and they have one Tap, choose another target creature, put a number of plus one plus one counters on it equal to the amount of life you've gained or the amount of lives you've lost this turn, whichever is greater. Activate only as a sorcery. Um, so I really liked this in general. Uh, I thought this was a really cool ability. It's really, really strong. There's just, it's so easy to pay life in these colors, in black in general, um, that I was like, oh, you can make something huge really, really quickly. Um, and so I made a version of the deck and I made a version of the deck with Lich because I love Lich and I'll get to that in a second because I do have something to say about those cards. But because um, Lich is probably my favorite magic card ever. But um, one of the things about this deck is it's not crazy fast. I don't I have like a I don't I don't even have a Birds of Paradise in it right now. I think I have a Gilded Goose for the like life gain haha synergies kind of stuff so it's it's like fairly quote casual but i've had to change this deck multiple times because a lot like you said with the uh aggravated assault there are times that like i would have a uh a staff of domination or something and just oh no i guess i win you know like oh i guess i have this infinite untapped thing i had um umbral mantle in the deck for a long time and I just took it out because it was like there are too many guys. So one of the the things that are really good in this deck, as you might imagine, are like the Viridian Joiners and the uh, like Gyre Sages, um, things like that. And it turns out if you put five plus plus one plus one counters on a Gyre Sage, it goes infinite with Umbral Mantle. <laughs> um <laughs> you tap for five and you untap for three and boom, there you go. 
And this just happened like too consistently for me. Like this was supposed to be a deck. I was like chill with the homies and I'd have like a big flyer or something like that. Or like, Oh no, my Sangromancer is like a 1313, um, stuff like that. Like make a big guy really quickly. Um, and that just didn't end up being the case. It usually that game devolved into like, like not making a 1313 into a 2626 into a whatever, whatever. It just was like, Oh, I just, make infinite mana with Viridian Joiner and I kill you with walking ballast. <laughs> and that's not that's not nearly as fun, right? So slowly over time I've had to I, I found the cards that go infinite. I cut them. There's a lot more um like Seeker of Skybreaks and Skurb Rangers in the deck now, which just untap once a turn, as opposed to the like multiple untaps that I had with maybe like Thornbite staffs or umbral mantles and things like that that you'd find ways to just like go off completely um so yeah like thousand new year elixir was always one of the best cards on the deck but that's kind of the signpost now like tap like one tap untap a creature boom that's what i want for this deck um and the second lesson is just um no one knows how lich works which is a very quick lesson Uh, if you read the card it doesn't really explain the card very well because it's from like my version is uh i think unlimited it's like one of the expensive ones that a friend got me as a present um Ooh, and doesn't yours have square corners no i had that one for a long time so you're remembering i bought a collector's edition lich like years ago and then a friend of the show alex whiteclay bought me a lich for real for a oh, christmas okay. present one year yeah there so um very cool thank you i love that card and i tried i find every excuse to play it whenever i can um but it's just really funny. Like people just don't really understand how it works, and so the, and and Lich's mastery too. So there's been multiple times where like I've thrown a Lich's mastery down, and someone attacked me, and they're like, "Okay," and I'm like, "Okay, sack these things," and they're like, "What?" <laughs> they're like they like just didn't quite get how it works. But um, if I have a Lich in play, uh, you're probably dead if I don't live. If 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 I keep unliving till the next turn, because I'm probably going to draw a bunch of cards and one of those cards might be Rokay in kind and then you're probably dead. So that's my lesson to everybody if you play with me. Uh, read Lich on the Oracle text. Uh, do not read it in person <laughs> or like on the card and uh, it'll be a lot better for you. But um, yeah, that's that's my uh, my sweet, sweet Lich deck. Is there uh, another deck you would like to talk about? Yes, this is actually going to be the last deck I'm covering today. Um, so I've only made a couple decks this year, but uh, definitely want to talk about this one. Uh, this is Kadira, Caller of the Small, and this is something I actually uh, helped a friend of mine make. Um, but Kadira, for those who aren't familiar with her, uh, she's one green-white for a Orc Ranger. She's a 3-3 with Trample, and whenever she deals combat damage to a player... For each token you control, create a 1-1 white rabbit creature token. Uh, so we talked about this during the Commander Legends Battles for Battle for Baldur's Gate set review. I won't go too deep into all the tech we discussed, but uh, just in terms of lessons learned, um, I initially uh, helped my friend build this deck in a way that was like very leaning towards the early game um, because... You know, in order for this deck to really get off the ground, 
you need to have some sort of tokens to start with so you can get the ball rolling and you also need to be able to hit with Kadira and like trample isn't the best uh, form of evasion. So there was like a little bit of Voltron element, a little bit of like cheap uh, token production, like stuff you can get off on like turn, you know, two, three or four. And that was fine. It was like relatively consistent at making its thing happen early in the game. But the problem was like all those kind of low impact, like just get some tokens on the board um, weren't the best top decks in the late game. And so like, you know, when you're drawing like a, a two mana make two guys on turn eight, it was just really, really underwhelming and like wasn't enough to um, dig the deck out of a bad position. So what we ended up doing is just cutting some of the low impact token generation and then just putting in more high end, like more, you know, Azuri's predation, Avenger of Zendikar type stuff, like things that, um, yeah, they're not going to be great in your opening hand and they won't really help you snowball early on, but like they can change the landscape of the game. If you draw them, you know, once you've sort of used up a lot of your gas. So, I think the the lesson there is like, yeah, consistency is good. Yeah, you you do want to get an early start, but it's not always going to be possible. And it's um, like you need you you can't run all bad cards. Uh, you really do <laughs> have to have a couple ways to win the game or change the 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 course of it later and later on. Yeah, that's really funny that I. <laughs> that's a lesson i had to learn too <laughs> I, I had a stone brow deck that was all it was basically a meme deck but it really taught me the importance of of bad cards and when and where to play them and whatnot so mm-hmm. um that's great i i'm only I'm, i only have one more deck too and i'm i uh i've changed the plan on nick so this is uh a deck i think both me and nick made uh, this is Streffen Mauer Progenitor. Um, but I've kept mine, I think, I don't know if you kept yours together. I've definitely kept mine together. Um, I, I did pull mine apart, but go ahead. Yeah. I, I can so, maybe pop in a couple lessons if, if you don't cover them. Yeah, absolutely. So the the first thing I'm going to mention with Streffen was like, uh, both of us were really excited about Streffen when it came out because we were both like, oh, cool, like a fat vampire commander. Like, not like a load of the ground Edgar that's like, basically just any one drop is good enough like streffen is like looking at the six drops the the uh the god what's the blood packed guy's name i can't remember off the top of my head anymore um the you know just big five mana plus vampires that uh that you um would want to play or want to cheat out or something like that your uh uh, Anwan the Ruin Sages, your Ascendant Evancars, whatnot, like things that are fun, big, splashy, cheat them out, sack some blood and cheat them out. Uh, and just so the audience knows, Streffen Mauer Progenitor reads, uh, it, well, they are a 3-2 Flying Vampire Noble for 4, 2 Red Black. And they have at the beginning of your end step, create a blood token for each player who lost life this turn. And whenever Streffen attacks, you can sack two blood tokens uh, and if you do, you put a vampire from your hand onto the battlefield tapped and attacking. It gains indestructible until end of turn. 
So this was like uh, th- this card in particular. Just I was like, oh, cool! I could play like the Chancellors of Dross, is the Butcher of Malakirs. I can play uh, in the deck. It had Markov Enforcer, which like fights things and makes treasure, uh, makes blood, and Olivia's Attendance, Mephidros Vampires. You know, like these big splashy six mana plus vampires that like you can play in decks and there's some decks that want them and reanimate them and whatever but like mm-hmm. it was cool that they I, I thought they were going to have a home in this guy and then I played the deck and I went oh <laughs> these cards are bad actually because I have so much blood I have <laughs> so much blood every turn it was so easy to get four blood a turn in a four player game because you mm-hmm. maybe you have a pain land and maybe you have something that pings or like you have like a plague spewer which is just a two two for three that every upkeep deals one damage to everybody you know like there's just so many things um what's the little goblin that's hit pings everyone for one the one mana guy do you remember off the top of your head oh uh oh god damn it. it's like um, spirit not spear spewer it's something spear, like that yeah i think it is spear spewer spear spewer yeah, yeah. um so you just have all these little things that, yeah, it is Spear Spear. You just have all these little guys that like deal one to everyone and you end up with a ton of blood. And what this did, what what I ended up turning the deck into after playing it like once or twice was basically just like artif- red-black artifact synergies the deck. Like it is trivial to find, you just have so much blood. You can just goblin, welder, stuff to your hand and blood itself is a discard outlet so you could pitch things to it let's say you draw a spear spewer turn seven and you don't need it anymore you just pitch it to a blood and you get something else so the deck on the surface was not the deck that it ended up being after playing it and i and that's really my first lesson for strefan is like sometimes i think they because i do think that's what they were shooting for i think they were shooting for like a cool vampire commander right like Mm-hmm. That that is what it seems like to me. But what where it landed is like this cool artifact commander where I can run like God Eternal Kefnet and like sack all of my like reprocess all of my tr- blood into cards and you know just do like funny big crazy things like Giraper Ether Grid is one of the best cards in this deck. Um, the Necron deck had like a ton of good tech for this deck too because it's black artifacts and <laughs> artifact reanimation. So the deck that like was publicized was not the deck that was made. And I think about that a lot when we do set reviews now where like this um, like card might not do what it's advertised to do, maybe like a Bellicor or something like that, but it's probably plays really fun where there's that Phoenix commander from mm-hmm. um, the um, new Capenna commander. Yeah, it was new Capenna. Yeah. Um, that really did a really bad job of being a Phoenix commander, but I would bet money that if you played it, um, Cyrix, that was his name. It probably is pretty fun. You know, like it probably does something pretty cool and fun. So that's kind of the first lesson I learned was not so much like, like a deck building lesson, but like, will I want to build this deck is kind of harder in the modern age because like you actually don't really know (laughs) Like it, the decks just don't play as advertised all the time, and they're coming out so often that like trying something, especially like out of a box, out of a precon or something, is better than just like assuming you know what the deck is gonna feel like. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm glad that Streffen came out and like 
really made it easy to play with Blood and Commander because one of the the big criticisms we had as we were doing our Crimson Valset review was just like basically all the blood cards, just the rate was not good enough to play in Commander. Even though blood was like a compelling mechanic, there's a lot you can do with that. Um, well, what with like as you mentioned, the artifact synergies, the discard synergies, the like uh, wanting to get stuff in your graveyard. So I'm I'm glad that Streffen now makes it possible in Commander. Um, it is yeah. It, I'm glad that like you kept it and like tinkered with it and got it in a good place. I was just a li- little disappointed because like you know it as you mentioned it didn't do the thing I was hoping to do, and rather than pivot, I was just like ah I plan to make another four black red decks so i'll just use these pieces somewhere yeah. else yeah yeah absolutely so that's pretty much it for me i um this is hopefully a fun little look into our our playing lives as as less a look into our like set review lives that have been <laughs> i feel like just a constant the last like month or so which Thank you for hanging with us. Um, I know a lot of you do like them, though. So as long as as long as you're liking them, we'll keep making them. But yes, um, and uh, next week we are coming back with a more data driven episode. We've got uh, some interesting data related to tribes that I think you all are going to have fun listening to us analyze. Yeah, yeah, that'll be really cool. Um, Nick has been working working hard you know so excited there's definitely going to be some cool things going on and yeah i guess we'll just we'll see you all then yes uh before we go uh, i want to give a brief thank you to our patreon patrons they are gustav addison rick Raphael, kyle laser charlotte the white clays hannah james logan roger bryce dylan benjamin jamie matthew kyle brandon kevin jeremy russell dylan micah troy Roxanne, Charles, Daniel, Andrew, Jason, Paul, Johan, Jonathan, Christian, Jim, Andrew, Vasilios, Logan, Frugal Carl Oscar, Danny B, Mifflin, Jean-Francois, Drew, Recta, Nick, BJ, Cameron, Valerio, Zach, Quincy, Carrie, Stephen, and the Longs. Thank you all for supporting the show. And if you're not currently a Patreon patron, but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. You can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Commander Theory. And on Twitter, I am at Fat Bartleby. You can also email us at commandertheory at gmail.com. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Nick Cage. You can check him out on SoundCloud. And if you're interested in some other creative products I'm working on, I have a band you can check out. We are a pink punk, pop punk band called The Have Nots, all one word like Cosmonauts. Uh, you can listen to all of our music for free right now. You can just head over to thehavenots.bandcamp.com. That is T-H-E-H-A-V-N-A-U-T-S.bandcamp.com. And check us out. Let me know what you think.